This is going to be our longest podcast ever. <laughs> We're just just edit, so if you need play. to edit down some of my long rants, feel free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for June 2022. I'm your host, Jonathan Butcher, and I am joined once again by the maverick to my goose, Tim Nelson. Great to be with you, Tim. Talk to me, goose. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely are the maverick in this situation, and I will not argue it any further. No, no, man. You're, I'm, I'm, I'm the goose. You're the maverick. <laughs> you go for it. All right. Well, Tim, we are smack dab in the middle of the summer movie season, and for once, we are here to talk about a mainstream flick that maybe people have actually seen, uh, which I think is a relief for our listeners, you know? They're like, as much as, we, how much as we love hearing you talk about a movie that we not only haven't seen, but have no intention of ever seeing, it's nice for you to pick a popular movie. And they said that, and we listened. So here we are. We're going to talk about Top Gun today. We're going to talk about both Top Guns. It's like a, it's like a takeover episode. <gasps> I know. Oh, man. I know. So this is exciting. So we're going to buckle up, and we're about ready for takeoff here. But first... Oh, that's a good pun. Ah, you like that? You like <laughs> Even that? I caught on to that one. That was great. I'm buckled up, ready for takeoff. Yeah, get that cockpit down. We're good. We're good. Uh-huh, that's um, good. But it wouldn't be a podcast without our favorite segment, What Have You Been Watching? So, Tim, what have you been watching, man? Anything new on your radar? So you told me, did you tell me to watch the Kaminsky Method? No, but that has gotten a lot of awards and everyone does rave about it. So have you been starting it's that? Like, it's a couple years old and I started watching it and I really enjoyed it until Alan Arkin was gone. But yeah, it was good. I, at first I thought it was a lot of hype and I was like, well, I must have some merit. It's winning awards. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was pretty good. It's it's very dark very and hilarious. So I, I really dug on it, but it's uh, definitely a dark comedy. So I've been watching that. What else have I been watching? Oh, just random weird documentaries. I'm like on a documentary kick right now. That sounds like you. Yeah. So watch one on Brian Wilson. There's like a bunch of them on Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. And then uh, just a whole bunch of different documentaries. I don't know. Sometimes I get like going the I have to watch a zillion documentaries. So that's what I've been up to. All right. Got it. Well, I have been watching, of course, HBO, and it's a show called The Staircase. It's a true story about the Michael Peterson trial. I don't know if you have a recollection of this. I didn't remember anything, but it's a true story about this guy whose wife falls down the stairs, or at least according to him, she fell down the stairs, and there's like blood everywhere, And but then the police think that he abused her or pushed her, and that he was responsible for it. So it's kind of like, did he do it, did he not? It stars Colin Firth as Michael Peterson and Tony Collins as his wife Ooh. Kathleen. I know, it's I a like great her. cast. Exactly. And it's really good because it's kind of an, an example of how good television is or what it's capable of because you have the you get invested in these characters and then they show you kind of reenactments of what each plausible scenario would look like. So here's what it would look like if she fell down the stairs by herself. Here's what it would look like if he did it. And it's different than like a documentary, right? Because in a documentary they do reenactments, but it kind of like feels like you're <laughs> so fake and you're being put out of it exactly. But like in this, you're already invested in the characters as the actors and then so to see the different versions as the characters 
characters. Like it just it has a different impact than just a documentary. So it's kind of cool how like it, it sort of feels like a documentary, but it also feels like an actual work of art TV show. So it's really good. And Colin Firth is amazing as Michael Peterson. Honestly, like because I I just I still don't know if he did it. Like it's just he has, it's a really layered performance where you're like I feel like I want to believe this guy. He seems like an upstanding dude who really loved his wife, but he's also kind of creepy. And that's just uh, it's good acting. And Tony Collette, like you said, of course she's amazing. She's been amazing. I remember seeing her first in The Sixth Sense. Like that, I think that was the first time I saw her in something big when she was Haley Joel Osment's mom in The Sixth Sense, and she's been killing it ever since. So great cast, great show. Check out The Staircase on HBO. Highly recommend. HBO Staircase. Okay, we got it. Oh, I did watch something else. Go, yeah, tell me. Because I just said about, you know, I was talking like basically series, like, you know, streaming series. Yeah. But like I watched Apocalypse Now, the new, the one that's on Netflix, that's the new cut. It basically puts in a bunch of stuff that probably should never have gotten back in. Uh And then uh, alongside that on YouTube, you can watch for free. I think there might be commercials. The making of Apocalypse Now, which I forgot the name of the movie. It's super famous. It's actually probably a better movie than Apocalypse Now. But it was his wife did a bunch of notes and took a lot of video throughout that process. So Coppola's wife. And so super interesting to watch. I love that movie. It's one of it's in my top 20 of all time. If you haven't seen Apocalypse Now, I mean, you're in for a treat. I would recommend the theatrical cut because I tried watching the Redux or whatever, the extra. Yeah, yeah. I just think the problem in general with director's cuts is that the pacing gets thrown off because they want to throw in this cool footage, but then you're losing kind of the flow. And I think that that flow comes from an, a third-party editor coming in being like, nope, we're going to cut here and we're going to do this. And then the director comes in and ruins it. Like I recently rewatched Almost Famous, one of my favorite movies. It was playing at a theater near us. And I remember watching the director's cut of that and it completely ruined the whole movie because it was just such a, the, when I first saw it, I fell in love with it because it was perfect. It was like just a crisp, this flows to that. And when the, when I saw the director's cut, it was like, you've just ruined the pace and that ruined the whole movie. So, yeah. So, but I think that's part of like the director's cuts kind of fandom, right? So like that you would, no, like the original movie's there, and then when you get the director's cut, you're getting, you have to expect that it's going to have, like, it's going to be kind of strange, right? Yeah. It's like it's like getting to know the movie a little too well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. oh, I see why you didn't bring him to the party. No, I see the benefit of that. So it's like you show your friends the theatrical cut, and then for yourself, you're like, oh, okay, here's some extra, like, layers on the cake, right? Right. And then all of that work. So like I think about like in Apocalypse Now Redux, like the original scene where they have like this French plantation that's in Vietnam and it's got like all these poli- there's reasons for it politically to put it in. But he couldn't get good actors and he's like working on his own dime. I mean, uh-huh. all that stuff. And you watch those scenes and like the critique, his critique of the scene, he cut it like he spent all this time and money getting people to come to the Philippines and make this scene. And he cuts it because he's like, these actors suck. <laughs> It wasn't it wasn't because like it was bad material, although I don't think it was that great. He's just like, these are terrible actors and we're just going to have to get rid of the scene. I mean, it was like and I feel so bad for those actors now. Right. (laughs) Which is kind of another benefit of the director's cut. It's like, hey, here's a you know, you put in this effort and here you go. Like people can actually enjoy your work now, even though it didn't make the original cut. So, yeah, I remember that scene because there's that that part in that scene when I uh, where the sun like goes down and it's like a really beautiful like the sun on their faces kind of. Yeah. So visually, I really like that scene. But yeah, it probably did was not necessary. It did. It had like the shot was good. Everything was good. And then the actors were uh, like almost like placeholders for real actors. There was one okay actor in there, but it was like came across weird and preachy and like, 
it wasn't varied enough to feel real. It felt fake. I do like watching director's cuts, but you really ought to know the the actual material before you come to a director's cut. Yeah, and don't make the mistake of showing like your best friend who's never seen the movie the director's cut because I did that once and it was awful. Like I hadn't seen the director's cut and I showed them that version and I was like, this doesn't work anymore and I don't like it and they didn't like yeah. it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start out with the regular cut. Now this is why I need to get my Star Wars back, but mm-hmm. you can't. I don't know how to get them back now. Like the no, you pre, can't. you can't. They're you can't. Um, they're holding them hostage and they're just like a few. We're never giving it to you. <sighs> I want my Ewoks back. Yeah. Like in the, so, do you like money, Disney? Do you? Because we've got money for you, and we're ready to shell it out. You would make a billion dollars, but I, believe, I think it's Lucas. I just think he's so stubborn that he won't, he won't allow it. He's got to know that that his modification of the original uh, Trinity has got is like just wrong. Like he's got to so know, wrong. like he's got to know it's wrong, but Sacrilegious. apparently not. Apparently, anyway. Not. Good. See, we covered some TV. We covered some movies. This was this was profitable. I like it. All right, enough shenanigans, man. Are you ready to go to the danger zone? Another pun. Yes. It's what is time. the highway to the danger zone? I don't know what that means. I asked Summer the other day. I, I always thought they were saying fly me to the danger zone. I literally looked up the lyrics yesterday and realized it was highway to the danger zone. That's how bad I am. I know. So what's that mean? I don't know what it means. But doesn't fly me kind of make more sense? It's like you're a top gun, right? Fly me to... like That makes sense. But highway, I don't get that. I think Kenny Loggins wrote that. So maybe yeah, Kenny yeah. has... An, maybe there's the key is there. I don't know. Right. But yeah, it's sorry it's not fly me to the danger zone on John. I, I, if you I want it to it be that way, they could do a director's cut of it and possibly <laughs> they could redo it there. There's so many lyrics I've gotten wrong over the years. Like, it's really bad. I'll just be singing a lyric and my wife will be like, that's not what they're saying. And like, well, it's better in my head. So whatever. Yeah, and you get like two. Ver- you get a director's cut of every song now. <laughs> How you thought it was, and then right. the real one. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I love it. Well, so we should say right off the bat that I don't think either of us were very excited about this movie, right? We're we're not. I wouldn't call myself a Top Gun fanboy by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, when we mentioned it on last month's podcast, I think we both groaned at the thought of this movie being worth our time. Because all I remember about the original before I watched it again was that it was just like some 80s relic that kind of belongs in the museum and it's fine, but like it's not something I would ever sit down and watch. But I think we were wrong, Tim. I think we were very wrong. So last week I had off of work one day and I just decided it's going to be my Top Gun day. I'm just doing it. I'm going for it. And so I woke up at 8.30. I got breakfast. I got coffee. And I freaking put on the original Top Gun from 1986 and I got a little nervous when that song came on and the credits came on and it seemed a little dated and I'm like, oh, here we go. But honestly, it was better than I remember. But I, before I get to my take, I want to hear what you have to say. Did you rewatch the original before you saw the sequel? Uh, yes. But no, I watched the original. I've, I've seen the original and I, I think I, I don't know if I saw it in the theater, but I saw it when, right after it came out. I saw it for sure on video, like VHS. Gotcha. So you didn't rewatch it currently but you do no, remember no, i it did very- rewatch oh, it did. currently i, I okay. watched uh, half of it this is weird i watched half of it which is wrong don't ever do this folks <laughs> then i went and watched the other one and then i watched the other half <laughs> i know right don't please do don't not do that. watch movies like that it's really terrible especially if they're Awful. sequential don't yeah. do that no but i already knew i knew that movie really well so okay. i didn't feel so, bad about but doing to that. be fair at least you got a flavor of it before seeing the sequel which is at least partially the correct way to do it yeah because it was a lot probably i'm old enough where it was really big mm-hmm. when i was a kid and and for you like it probably it had already it was passe by then and it's like you know middle of the cold war not middle into the cold war we're still kind of four or five years out from 
the wall falling down, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember it coming out and it was it was the biggest thing and everybody loved it. And Tom Cruise was he had been in some stuff before, but this was like the big breakout blockbuster role. And the airplanes are like half a star. Like everyone wanted like F fourteen toys. G.I. Joe came out with an F-14. Everything was F-14s for like 10 years after this. See, I totally missed this because I was one when this movie came out. And But like Dan Baker said the same thing. This is our mention of Dan Baker in every episode. Yay! He, men- <laughs> he mentioned the same thing because I was like, you should really rewatch the original before you go see it. And he's like, oh, I've seen it many, many times. And like, so I just <laughs> think like this was a cultural thing that I just, it just missed my generation. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. I think... um the original one, I think, was the first sex scene I ever saw in a movie. Mm, okay. It was Kelly McGillis and uh, McGillis. Tom Cruise. Whoa, yeah, hey. Yeah, yeah. And I also look at it as like, one of these films that's like really attempting to be crowd-pleasing. Say about the volleyball scene. They have action. They have romance. They have mm-hmm. It's trying to like cover every base, military recruiting tool, all those things. Yeah, and I think the, the nation was probably – I mean, if, if you look at it, like this is when we had the space race is big – and if you were a test pilot, you were going to be an astronaut. It's, you know, that was 10, 15 years before this, 20 years before this. And so like pilots were highly revered at that point. And it was like, they were superheroes, like Buzz Lightyear, right? Yeah. 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 Your path would be like, go into a war, then come be a pilot, then go be an astronaut if you could. And it was very full of nationalism. And I don't think we, we haven't really had anything comparable to that. Mm-hmm. So that, so that's like, so to be a top gun pilot was like the coolest thing you could think of when I was a kid. There you go. Yeah. And I think the movie holds up. Like I really do. Like I was surprised by how just well paced it is and how that it's just like, you, like you said, it has everything in it. It's not just flying in the sky and battles. It has this romance, which is actually pretty compelling. Like the fact that she's a fully realized character and she's also like an instructor for the military. So she knows her stuff. And like, there's, so there's some like power elements there that actually really work. And so I feel like it goes in and out of, of romance and battle and like drama really well. And I dug it, man. It was a great way to start the day. I think it's a good movie. It reminds me of like a cop drama. Where you have like the commissioner and then like the two guys that are buddies and they go in there like, you're dangerous out there, <laughs> so, but you get the job done. Uh-huh. We're just coming down that you're going to get transferred. It's like the same dialogue in every single movie. It's true. Somebody up there must like you because you're going to be transferred to <laughs> blah, 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 blah. They always say that line. Someone up there must like you, right? Because it's like the only reason right. they're still here. They've got some connection somewhere. Yeah. If it were up to me, I'd ground you. You know what I mean? Like, it's like that kind of stuff. So it's like someone, it's like the commissioner dad is telling yeah. you got in trouble. I think it's just, all this is very derivative. So but that's okay. Cause I think we like that. Mm-hmm. We like patterns. We, yeah. we like to follow into them. So that's all right. We'll just go for it. So there you go. It was a good movie. I was happy to watch it. And then immediately, unlike Tim, I finished the whole movie. But after I was done, I immediately purchased a ticket to go see the other one in a matinee. So like 40 minutes after the end credits of the first one, I was out the door to see the second one. And it was great. And there I was just in a theater, like ready to watch this movie. 36 years later, I tried to get my wife to go. She was not... She was not having it. She, she like wasn't half, having it. She wasn't having it. She was half watched the first one. All she said when I left was like, I hope they play Highway to the Danger Zone the entire movie. And right off the bat, they pl- opened with the song. And so I rec- secretly recorded the audio do you of mean, that and texted do, do you mean the song Fly Me to the Danger Zone? Fly, it should be Fly Me to the Danger Zone. <laughs> it should. The, I like it. <laughs> 
Thank you. Can Fly we just make it to the danger zone? zone? And just immediately you're thinking Tom Cruise, right? It's great. It's I'm perfect. feeling it. I like yeah. it. I think we should maybe change it. We'll call I, Kenny. Yeah. Is we'll he alive? Kenny. I don't. I don't know if Kenny's alive or not. I think he might be. I don't know, but I think he'll be open to it either way. It's possible. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's just a better lyric. Okay. Yep, that's right. So anyway, they did open with that song, and I was able to text it to my wife. She got a big kick out of it. But what Tim was your theater experience like when you did get out there? What was it like? Well, Top Gun Maverick. Tell me about your theater experience before we get to the actual movie. Well, so I'm beginning. I'm learning from my theater that you went to. I went to the same theater we went to. Good. I'm learning now that I don't have to pay any attention to the time that they say the movie starts. Exactly. I just don't. I, I just add a half an hour. So so I get there like actually when it starts. And I, I made a phone call to my brother for 20 <laughs> minutes, went to the bathroom, considered buying some snacks, texted a bunch of people, texted you probably. You did. You and, did text uh, me. Just taking your time. Just, yeah, I just took it as my I instead of like trying to watch the previews, I just took it as my extra time that the movie was giving me, and I built that into my day. Like I knew then, but it was like one of these situations where it's like you, I had to block off four hours again. But I had a good experience, and then um, I talked to one of the employees because it was a matinee. It was like real mellow. Nobody, not a lot of folks in there yet. It was t- actually not even a matinee. It was ten a.m. Nice. Okay. It's like early bird special, man. I was going to go to Denny's afterwards. <laughs> And so, like, you got your senior discount yeah. and you're ready to go. To oh, dinner. yeah, exactly. I'm going to be to bed by 5 p.m. <laughs> so, I did that. And then I was like, hey, what do you think? Is this the new. Uh I asked this guy, he's like, yeah, he's like, he saw the blockbusters back. The kid said that to me. And I yeah. was like, are you serious? And he's like, this is a great movie. And this you guy, go. you know, this is one of those like 18 year old, 17, 18 year old summer job theater guys. He was excited about this film and he was like, hey, we're back. Mm. And you could feel it. Like it I was like, it. oh, the, the the theater is back. Yeah. And it, and then you had right after this came out, what, Jurassic Park? Yeah. I don't know uh, about that movie. <laughs> I have a bone to pick with Jurassic Park. But, so this gets to my theater experience. I was subjected to not one but two trailers for Jurassic Park when I'm ready to watch Top Gun here. And so there was the big long one, of course, that was like four minutes long. And then after all the trailers, after the commercials for Pepsi and everything, and even after Greg Marcus makes his dumb little speech right before the movie, they literally threw in, uh, he's great, they threw in another Jurassic Park trailer, and it really bothers me. I I just hate the franchise in general because the original (gasps) means so much to me. Like, I adore the original. I've seen it probably 200 times. It is one of my favorite movies ever. I know every second, every line. And so the circus that those movies have become the soulless ugh, it, it really just drives me nuts so to have it sounds to watch like it life twice. found a way john <laughs> life found a way money Jurassic found a way. park found a way and we didn't think it would breed like this ugh. but you yeah. know what found a way it did it bred john, and what were, it, it unleashed a monster spent, they spent all their time wondering if they could, and they didn't spend any time wondering <laughs> if, if they, they should. should. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Why can't There's... that be a review? You could review that, like do a real short review on the on the on the website. That's be so like, good, man. Why didn't these producers just queue up Jeff Goldblum's speech and just? I mean, they they basically became I love everything speech. he was railing against. Exactly. Yeah, he saw you've got all the he saw yep. you have all the means, but none of the discipline or whatever yeah. he says. He's like, like, yeah, and he gets mad. He's speech. like, here you go, you're gonna slap it on a plastic lunchbox, and boom, and boom, there you go, money. And they did it. They did it. They did it. <laughs> they, they 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 could. Yep. 
So it hurts my soul, but there you go. That so I had to watch two of two trailers. And then the other thing that annoyed me in my theater experience was that Tom Cruise himself, I don't know if this was true for you. Tom Cruise himself gets on right before the movie and thanks you for coming. Did this happen for you? Yeah, it was it's I think everyone it happens for. I don't like that. I really don't like that. And I know this is kind of absurd, but I'm here like pumped up to see Maverick, not Tom Cruise. And so just his face coming on right before the movie takes me out of it for a minute. Like it bothers me. Like obviously in the back of my mind, I know that Tom Cruise plays Maverick, but I'm really like here for the character. And now you're getting in my way mentally. And he didn't even say anything of substance. He was just like, thanks for coming. Means a lot. There's, there's a lot of weird Tom Cruise things going on in this film. Like, like if you look at the production, mm-hmm. it's just like Tom Cruise is like, first off, there's like a thousand writers on this movie. Okay. Which it turned out good. Okay? It turned that out fine. Out well. yeah. Okay. So that's all right. And then there's like a 15 people doing the music. Okay. Got it. I know it's uh yeah. Okay. And then, and then Tom Cruise does all these things that make me go, is Tom Cruise directing this film? Because <laughs> you're like, is. not sure. Yeah. So, so, and then the script's coming off of like, Anyway, it's just it's just weird. So then Tom Cruise does stuff like he oh yeah, all he's like controlling all the actors. So he's doing things like taking them to flight school and stuff uh-huh. that he created the flight school. I'm like, "Okay." And then he's doing stuff like he he introduced it like he directed it. Right, right. Exactly. Like, like it was his baby. Di- you didn't direct this movie. What? He's right. Like, we did it for you. <laughs> That's what he says. I'm like, "Really?" Well, I mean, I'm sure he has that. I mean, you know, well, we're going to get to it in a minute, but the director only has two movies before this under his belt. So I'm sure that there's a little bit of like, oh, yeah, you're the director, but, you know, there's a little bit of a secret, probably power stuff going on behind the scenes here. I guess what Tom Cruise wants, Tom Cruise gets. And he exactly. looks like he made some deal with the devil. How does that man? Okay, I'm going to. Uh, we've talked about Brad Pitt having abs. Yeah. How does that. How old is Tom Cruise? He is 59. I looked it up. Okay, so so the man's like sixty years old. Now here's a question I have: mm-hmm. Did you see gray hair on that man at any mm-hmm. point? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, do you have any gray hair? Uh, I'm, much, I think right? I'm getting a little bit, but yes, it's coming. But I know what you mean. Yeah. So I, I'm a man a we, a man of a uh, forty four years. Okay, almost forty five years, and I've had gray hair for like ten years. Right. This man is sixty years old, and we're supposed to believe he has no gray hair. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, man, it's just weird. Well, some of his exes have spilled the beans that he has an extensive, uh, what do you call it? He a has, regimen? Yeah, he has an extensive like regimen. regimen. That's like it, regimen. That's exactly the word yeah. I was looking for. And so, I mean, we're talking like it's 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 disciplined, it's every day, it's hours. And, you know, I mean, you can only, it, it's first, you know, you want to cry, play the vanity card, but I mean, at the same time, it is, the, his money is his face and his body. So, I mean, that's his tool, right? Is his instrument, I guess you could say. I'm not saying it, I'm not judging <laughs> yeah. him either way. Yeah. Like, yeah. the man looked good. Right. But I was right. like, how did he do it? Does he have a... You know that film Tuck Everlast? Is he drinking from like a spring of youth? What is he? What's this man doing? Is he discovered something? I think he has discovered something, and he does it every day, whatever that is. And I don't think he's spilling the beans on it. Yeah, I mean, and he's sixty, and he's like going at. I, you know, I watched some of the making of stuff, and he's going like getting five G's under. I mean, like he's mm-hmm. he's like doing stuff that I would never want to do, and he's sixty. Or maybe it's impressive. the Scientology, Tim. Maybe there's more to it than we thought. Oh, I missed out. Yeah, <laughs> it's too late for me now. Too late. No, yeah, it is impressive, but uh, but we'll, we'll get to Cruz in a moment here. Before we do, I want 
So let's say my mom's listening to this and she has no idea what Top Gun is, Tim. This is your moment. What what you the like- heck are these <laughs> movies about? I, I know. Like, could you just like give, you give a little synopsis, maybe draw in a little bit of the first and the second? What's going on? What's Top Gun? All right. So there are two guys who weren't supposed to get a spot. They're naval aviators, Maverick and Goose. And they're two guys, young guys. And they're one of the guys that's on their aircraft carrier that's supposed to go to Top Gun, one of the teams. Well, he has a nervous breakdown in a combat scenario. And so they get to get the spot at the best naval aviation training school that uh, the United States in 1986 can offer. It's the best of the best. And they're trained to make you even better. It's the best of the best of the best. (laughs) The cream of the cream of the crop. It's Top Gun. And so they go to Top Gun and it becomes the cop movie we were talking about earlier. One guy likes to do everything how he likes to do it. He doesn't want anybody to tell him. And you have friction between all these high performing individuals that have different styles. And it culminates in how do they respond to a crisis when a crisis occurs in several different areas? How do they respond? And you see character development occur as those crises unfold. And the major crisis of the first movie, and we're not spoiling anything because it was 36 years ago, come on, is that his wingman, Goose, dies. And that is one of the, the biggest moments of the first movie. In a training accident. Exactly. And so when we get to the second movie, we see a little bit more of a grown-up Tom Cruise in more ways than one. I think his character has developed a little bit, a little more humble. He's checked, learned to check his ego at the door slightly, though he's still not immune to breaking rules and doing what he thinks needs to be done. And then we see that he's drawn back to Top Gun because there's an impossible mission that needs to happen, and they want him to train this new crop of cadets on how to accomplish this mission, and like that's basically like potentially going to get them all killed unless they're properly trained. And the other rub is that Goose, who died in the first movie, his son is one of the top gun candidates that could be flying this mission and there's some tension obviously between him and maverick because of his dad dying back in the day and the things that have unfolded since then it's pretty cool now you should ask me at this point because i need you to ask so it doesn't sound like i'm dropping names ask me if i have hung out with a top gun pilot and toured an aircraft carrier go ahead do it get out have you hung out with a top gun pilot no, no, I have. <laughs> I actually have. Yeah, yeah. Because when I was a kid, there was a guy that went to our church and we lived in San Diego and he was at Miramar, which is where they had Top Gun at that point. And he was an F-14 Tomcat pilot. And I got to meet this guy in like 92. So it was like only a few years after this. And he had a, a call sign and everything. And he took us and we got to tour the entire aircraft carrier. And when it was, I don't know if it was Fleet Week or what it was, but we got to, my whole family got to go in and see that thing. It's like a city on on the ocean. Amazing. The got to see all, everything. Wow. But what's so amazing because I got to actually witness this, was the crew and the respect that that guy got was incredible. Mm. Like he was treated like a king because you you basically have thousands and thousands of people and obviously there's a command structure, but they exist so that this guy can pilot a single aircraft. You know, like, I mean, there's a bunch of them. There's like a locker room. I got to see the locker room with all their names and everything in the call signs. I know. 
So he's a family friend and just said, Hey, I bet your kids would like this. And yes, we did. But anyway, so we got to see that. And that was with the original F 14s. But I, but I, you know, like that respect, like those guys get, got a ton of respect and gals now too. Yeah. I mean, it was like that whole ship was like, you go wherever you want, do whatever you want, bring on whoever you want here because uh, you're the top of the thing. You know, everybody was just like in awe of these pilots. That is really cool. Yeah. Kind of neat. All right. Top Gun Maverick is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who actually, as I mentioned before, doesn't have a ton of credits to his name. So his first movie was Tron Legacy, which was a sequel to Tron that came out in 2010. And the reviews are basically like a lot of flash, a lot of really cool visuals, but not a lot of substance. And the same criticisms were leveled at his second movie, which starred Tom Cruise, and that was called Oblivion. And that came out in 2013, but it was the same sort of thing. Like, it's good, it's visually great, but there's not a lot of story or meat to the bone. Do you remember any of those movies? I've seen Tron. I haven't seen Oblivion. That's not based on the video game, is it? I don't know. I don't think so. So so I have heard this guy's like a CGI-reliant director. I mean, like everyone now. But, like, he's, like, really into it. Loves CGI. Just wants to play a video game movie. Yeah. But thankfully, in this movie, for whatever reason, maybe it was Cruz behind the scenes, there was a much more seamless blend of CGI to practical effects. And this became, uh, if the reviews are correct, this became his best movie because that whole all flash, no substance does not apply. So here we go. Good job, Joseph Kaczynski. Way to... uh let Tom Cruise direct your movie. Did you hear that they how they filmed this? I heard some snapshots. Now go ahead and tell me because I know Tom Cruise has been on the circuit saying this, but no, go ahead. What did you hear? So they used full frame IMAX six cameras or something like that. I can't remember the name, but basically super gigantic, high quality, like full frame cameras. So like we've talked about where they filmed different films before. So and then they filmed a lot of it without a cinematographer for some of these scenes really because they yeah this is pretty amazing like there's uh, what i read on of course the reliable wikipedia article Uh that i saw but also it was confirmed by equally unreliable youtube videos yeah we get good sources here folks which they had they had filmed over 800 hours of footage 800 hours Uh (laughs) yeah which to put in perspective like all of lord of the rings wasn't that much Holy cow, dude. That's crazy. Can you imagine an editor just like getting 800 hours of footage? No, <laughs> but but the way, but they like those dogfight scenes, some of them were just pure CGI. Others were, were blended, a mix of CGI and the actual, and it cost first in the cockpit scenes, like where they're actually in a plane cost $12,000 an hour, which <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. Right. I know that's just for the, that's just a pilot. It's not the film and everything. Yeah. Or the crew, but they would have they couldn't put a camera operator in there and have the, the actor. So the actors had to learn how to do the camera. They had little lighting in there and the actors had to deal with the lighting. And then they had to every single scene they had to basically go through way ahead of time. So it was like kind of mirrored the actual process of the in the movie of like their object of like training for their objective is that they had to know exactly all the moves they were going to do. And then they'd have a real F 18 pilot fly them. Yeah, And it feels like it, it feels authentic up there. And that's one of the benefits of both of them. I don't know how they filmed the original, but I think both of them, you know what I really loved is that they had, and it takes talent is that you never feel disoriented. You never feel like I'm confused as to what's going on. You always know where everyone is in the air. And I feel like, especially when you're dealing with 800 you know, hours of footage, like to, to put it together in such a way that you know exactly what's going on at all times takes talent. And that, it's impressive. 
Yeah. And if you tried to watch it, like with all that, all those techniques, you try to watch it in your living room on like a 40 inch TV or whatever, it would have been horrifying. I mean, it would be terrible. It would no, do no justice to the film at all. Well, that's why Tom Cruise apparently was offered a humongous streaming deal for this. And he said, absolutely not. This is a theater movie. Really? And that's why, of course, he thanks us for coming out to the theater right before the film. Yeah. Thank you, director. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Weird. So there you go. And I, yeah, I thought that so the fighting scenes were really, really felt authentic for that reason. And I also just like the continuity. Like, I think it was a smart decision to kind of dive right into Fly Me to the Danger Zone. And the credits felt like, I think, exactly the same, like, type yeah. and font as the original. So I think right away, there's just like this is continuity. Everything felt like it could be back. You could be back in the 80s, except for smartphones. And so. So that was nice. And then like you had a lot of a lot of the same elements were there from the original, right? You have Maverick, of course, and his rogue spirit. But like there's all like the, the cocky version, like young Maverick type dude in Miles Teller who plays Rooster, Goose's son, right? Who's kind of like Maverick was back in the day. Although I guess it's a little different in that Maverick kind of like had a huge ego that needed to be checked, whereas Rooster sort of doesn't believe in himself enough, which is interesting. And then you have the kind of the macho douchey guy who was Iceman in the original and in and this one is the hangman. So you have that, right? And uh, but that's the token, actually, fem- the <laughs> token woman, <laughs> the token woman. Yeah. I like it, it kind of bugged me. I was like, all right, yeah. It's like okay, one okay. Mm-hmm. I guess that's that's better than having like a like all boys. But like I, th- I thought it was like, come on, it felt like a, a like better. a token diversity thing when you could yeah, actually yeah. make a real character. Yeah, right. Yeah, she yeah she didn't seem like a real character to me. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But I like that. I like that it felt like all of the elements were there in slightly different ways. And then they do a really good job of laying out this this mission that they're going to go on, this impossible mission. I love this thing, man. This this, this is what got me so excited. It's like it's like, okay, so here's what we got to do. <laughs> It's like, we can't be detected by radar, Tim. So we have to fly right along the ground, which is very, very scary, very dangerous. Then we're going to fly upside down, and we're going to go into this canyon. And you have to, the first... Beggar's the, Canyon. The, oh, wait, the, no. Go ahead. <laughs> the death, first, the first, it might be like the Death Star a little bit. Like the Death Star, exactly. Just a, just a little bit like the Death Star. Are right. there any anti-aircraft <laughs> measures that they're taking here, like the Death Star does? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I get what you're oh, saying. Oh, I see. Along the canyon wall by chance hey derivative <laughs> but we love it right we love it we love so, it <laughs> love it so they so you have to fly upside down into this canyon and you have to hit this small little target just like the original star wars and the first plane has to create the hole and then the second plane has to do the same thing and hit that same small target to get the bomb in there and then wait we're not done then you pull up immediately and go perpendicular to a cliff at 10 g's and you very well might pass out and die but if you make it all the way to the top of this <laughs> Will it bend the frame of my aircraft? Because it's only rated for seven Gs. Exactly. It's not even built for this. Then you, if you make it, you make it to the top of this cliff without passing out and dying. You're still not out of the woods because you are immediately going to be hit with missiles and aircraft coming at you, and you will have to fight your way home. It's like who on earth would ever do this mission? It's insane. Da da da. Oh, wait, it's Star Wars. Use the force, Luke. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like, did they have any schematics and they briefed a group of people on them? A giant squid man that maybe... uh, Did did a lot of uh, spies die to get that information by any chance? (laughs) 
Yes. It's so good. Oh, man. That's but, crazy. But it's perfect. I love how they lay it out there. I love that the stakes are so high. It's so ridiculously impossible. And then, of course, you know, you know they're going to find a way. They got to find a way. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Yeah. But instead of just sh- having a perfect shot, you have to blow the top off it first, right? <laughs> right, right. Now, and you a perfect shot. That's doubling down. You mentioned something <laughs> about a, a missile that you didn't like. What What's going on? So, like, based on what I'm seeing here, <laughs> I mean, I could be... Have don't I may not have a PhD in military strategy or uh, astro something something. I don't think you do. To clarify, yeah, it's possible I don't. But to me, if it's a, uh, couldn't you just drop a bomb on it? So <laughs> instead of creating that? the opening and then putting the bomb in there, I mean, is it possible they have to get it deep inside, and that's why they need the whole opening? I don't know. All right, I don't but you're know. saying why not just a huge bomb that just gets it all done in one shot? Okay. Yeah. So, like, if I had an anthill, like, in my uh, grass, right, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, like, sneak up on it on the ground to avoid <laughs> other ants. And uh-huh. then as soon as I put the bomb in the uh, anthill, I would, like, try to fly, right. like, jump into a tree. I would just go up to it and drop something in it and then leave. But apparently sure. that wasn't an option. Was not an option. Is no. it the radar maybe is the issue? I think they're, 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 well, the radar is the reason why they have to sneak in there. And then let's just assume that what they're trying to blow up, Tim, is deep underground. And you need a precision missile that's just got to glide smoothly its way in there. So the other question is, can you enrich uranium without any exhaust? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like know. you can earn I, I don't know either. These are where are where, These are here's what I questions. want. Okay, here's what I want. Okay. Uh-huh. There's okay. always those folks, just like Star Wars, right? There's the folks that are like, oh, spaceships don't make you know, don't make sound. <laughs> right, right. There's right. no air, there's no wave yeah. there's no wave action through not through a vacuum. Right. It wouldn't like, go okay, poof, poof, poof. it would be nothing. Literally nothing. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. like that wouldn't yeah. happen. And so we where are you guys here? Obviously, you can't like make a right-hand turn when you go in Mach 10, which happens in the movie. But I want folks to tell us, you physics types, you engineer types, you know, whatever your background, maybe you watched some show on how it's made. That's fine. We don't need anybody with just a little more knowledge than we do. Is this feasible, this whole situation? Hey, let us know. I want to know. know. Podcast at cinemafaith.com. Let us know. We will read your technical answer on our next show. That's a problem. We just don't have degrees from MIT or Caltech. Mm-hmm. We don't have engineering backgrounds. Yeah. And to be fair, they could have they could have covered this a little bit in the movie. I mean, for all the skeptics out there like you, Tim, there could have been just some guy in the background that was like, oh, why can't we just drop a bomb on it? And then Tom Cruise laughs and they explain why. Yeah. I don't know. And then why not lasers? There should be la- <laughs> lasers. But here, let's get to the real thing, which is. There, well, I haven't talked about themes yet, but we could talk about that later, I guess. Not yet. Not even time. It's not even time yet. We haven't even got to the synopsis of this thing. We did do the synopsis. You just forgot. Oh, we did. Okay. Oh, man. That's <laughs> typical of me. Well, no, we're on directing. So I think that overall it was well directed. Now, the one element that I struggled with was the... And this could be more of a writing than directing thing, but I really struggled with Jennifer Connelly and the relationship there with Tom Cruise. I did not think it had anywhere close to the heft of the original with Kelly McGillis, and I just thought it felt thrown in, and that she just smiled a lot, and there was no depth to her character, and I just thought none of those scenes worked. Do you agree or not disagree? All right, so with the Kelly McGillis character who of course this is the first woman I've ever watched make love okay you got to keep this in this mind so it moment. might be a little it might be a little bit or at least do effects simile of making love 
this might be, I might have the problem here, but there was sexual tra- power transference in the first movie because she was an instructor. So you had him, he could be only so smart ass, but she was like a conquest in the first one. Whether that be ethical or not ethical, that's what that was. So that there was huge amounts of tension in that scene. Yep. And he's a young guy. She's a little older. She's obviously smarter than he is. He's a hot shot. And she's like, no, I don't date pilots, which means she said no to a bunch of pilots previously. Mm-hmm. So for him, it's like, can he achieve like, you know, dating this person or whatever? So for, so there's an element of like a conquest that goes on with that. So that has like a lot more tension to it, yes. whether it's like screwed up, like psychologically or like social, emotionally, whatever, there is tension to it. And I felt like with Connelly's character, there's like no tension at all. Like nothing. Nothing. It's just flat. It's not her fault. It's not. It's not his fault. It's someone's fault. I mean, someone's at fault. (laughs) I guess my question is, like, they kind of say in the beginning, is she just like his, when 60-year-old Tom Cruise needs to make a booty call in every port? Is that what she is? That's my my, my question. I don't even know. We don't even, like, understand why they're talking like what's the history what are the stakes of this relationship what is it like maybe he did there's some vague reference to him doing her wrong back in the day but like come on like we need more we need the director's cut yes yeah yeah <laughs> Give it'll, us a, it'll be explained it'll make redux it'll make sense and it'll be a terrible film it'll be a terrible actor saying it and you know in a, a frenchman but it's fine we'll at least know yes, what's it was going the on. frenchman that broke them up I'm sure of it. Anyway, so, so yeah. that was a huge flaw that I really did not. I mean, it's really one of the only major criticisms I have of the film is that whole subplot. All right, do you have any other comments on directing specifically, Kaczynski's direction? Before we move on to acting, no. I I thought that the we talked both about pace, and if you want to blame the director for pace, which I think we could, director and editor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the director off, oftentimes is the one that's like making the choices. I would say the pace of this film is like perfect. It was not like Tron at all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Perfectly paced movie. You're just like, it just flies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a long movie. It's 2.11, mm-hmm. I think. And so I told, I texted John and I said, this pace is as good as like Godfather or Godfather 2. Yep. Where you're like, keep it going. Oh, I love this. It's like a conveyor belt of awesome that you're like perfect. It's like coming at the perfect rate. Everything is, it's just perfectly paced. I haven't seen a a movie this well paced in years. In fact, it was so well paced that I actually like, didn't even notice like during the movie, how much like the whole Jennifer Connelly and him doesn't work. Like I literally didn't even think about that until later when I was like, is this a perfect movie? Oh wait, there are some flaws. And it was because in the moment you're just, you're flying and it's fine. It's great. Like everything's clicking, you know, like, like, so yeah, they move you to the next tense scene. It has good economy. So like even the Jennifer Connelly scenes don't like drag out. Right. Yeah. And the ban- like locker room banter kind of stuff doesn't drag out. Everything is just really crisp. Yeah. So I agree, man. I think it's, uh, you know, I agree with myself on this. Yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> Which sometimes I, think, I don't. I think that is a credit to Kaczynski and the, and the editor because they work closely to, to find that pace. So yeah, well done. There you Better go. than the first on that for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 All right, Tim, let's talk about the acting since we've already gone there a little bit. So let's talk about Tom Cruise. I don't know if we've done a deep dive into Cruise in our last, in any of our last podcasts. If we have, it's been a while. So I would consider Tom Cruise to be one of the last true movie stars walking among us. And I going to define that as like someone who has this ineffable charisma, who seems like larger than life, but also can 
drive a movie just on his name alone. And I just don't think there's a big list anymore. I think you got Tom Hanks, for sure. Cruz, Brad Pitt. Can you think of anyone else that has those two elements? This larger than so we t- persona. So we talked about Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. You said Cruz. Who was your middle uh, one Hanks. you just said? Tom Hanks. Yeah, he's even out. I Look at you Hanks think? as somebody who... I don't feel like he can tell a director what to do anymore. Okay. I feel like Cruz has, still has more power than Hanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Hanks has influence, but I think of, you know, who could get i mean maybe tom cruise did this with saving private ryan i can't remember there was some kind of tom before hanks, you watch this movie yeah. yeah tom hanks like who could intro a movie like that mm-hmm. like that you have to be like at some level where no director can touch you that's such a good point that in and of itself is sort of like the litmus test for a true movie star like no one else could do that like it's yeah. so true everyone tolerates it because it's like oh yeah of course here we go cruise right that's crazy yeah, yeah. nobody nobody can do that <laughs> So I look at that and I'm like, maybe Tom Cruise did that before. Maybe in Saving Private Ryan, I could imagine that if it doesn't, it didn't. I know it doesn't happen like in the if I stream it, but I could see it like if there was in the you know in the original material on the VHS or even in the theater. I can't remember, but like you could say like we're this is a very you know mm-hmm. I could see an intro on that film, but with this like I, you don't see that. That's like total power and creative control, as everybody always says. I know it's a cliche, but it sounds like he had control. The whole time. Why do you think that is? Why do you think movie stars are a dying breed? Why don't they exist anymore? What's your theory? I think we're probably more sophisticated now than we used to be. Like, I tend to follow directors now rather than following actors. And I think when movies were first came out, it was like Buster Keaton and like, who's, uh, oh, I'm forgetting everybody's name, but the folks that made United Artists. It's uh, Chaplin and uh, his, oh, I forgot his wife. Anyway, so you had like the stars, like created studios. Okay. And then yeah. uh, not always in response to, to having more creative control. Now what we see is like, it's all like, okay, did you get the investors? And it seems like the executive producers and the producers have so much power. And then we tend to follow these directors because we know if like they're our style or not. So I don't know. Do you feel that way? I think that is, I think that's totally legit that the, the more of the power and more of the trust is in the director than the actor. I will also say that I think it's so much easier to research and tell if a movie's good or not that that's kind of the litmus test that we use, right? Regardless of who's acting and even sometimes who's directing, right? I think within three oh, clicks. Oh, that's a you good can, point, man. Yeah. Within three clicks, you can find out if a movie is worth your time. And when you're talking about, you know, $15 movie tickets plus snacks, etc., you know, you're going to put a little research in. Whereas back in the day, I feel like in 1986, you basically, that opening weekend, no one knows yet whether the movie's good because you don't have the internet it's basically word of mouth is the only thing that's going to take you down so you're relying it's a on newspaper yeah am i yeah. you're relying on am i interested in the plot and who's starring in it and so i think it's just different now because it, regardless of who's up there you're going to click a couple uh, times on to rotten tomatoes and you're going to be like oh this movie sucks <laughs> i mean like look at like a billboard right so like it used to be like the name of the movie and then the two stars or the one star whatever bogart you know but now it doesn't – no, you don't get it out anymore. It's just like – you know, now it's just like these movies are here. Mm-hmm. And I think that – but I think you're right as far as you can learn a whole lot more about the film than you used to be able to. So like in the old days, if you had the actor on there, it was like a seal of approval. Like that actor's willing to do this 
and uh, that actor is really good. And so I'm going to go to see that movie. You're absolutely right. Without having to go to a review or you can't, you couldn't, you could right. only go to, well, you had your local newspaper and you go see if it was any good. And maybe at some point you'd read Rolling Stone or something and see if that's all right. But there was no, uh, there was no access to really figure out about the movies. And if you knew directors, like even like 20 years ago, even 20 years ago, if you followed directors, you were like a cinephile. Oh, right. That's so rare. Like you, right, exactly. Versus if you followed an actor, you were like just a fan. Mm-hmm. So those are different. So you're like, oh, uh, so if you said something, oh, I love Coppola's work, people are like, whoa, you're into movies. You know, yeah, and and now I think that's just normal. Yeah, agreed. And I think this movie is just a case in point. I mean, like you and I both like Tom Cruise, and you know, I think like we would watch anything that he does. But at the same time, we would not be talking or have watched this movie if like we had looked up the reviews and they were terrible. Like we would have. No, we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't if we even if we saw who we're like, oh Val Kilmer, which we didn't touch on Val Kilmer. But like even if we had seen the star set, it we'd just be like, oh no, we're not going to see this. This is a terrible concept. Like it can't be good. Can't be good. Yeah, which is what I, we I thought totally last time. So there you go. So I think that's a good reason. And I think that's why even though you have legitimate good movie stars, I mean, like Oscar Isaac is one of my all time or one of my favorites, current new actors. And like, it's just it's just a different area, a different vibe out there. So there you go. The death of the movie star. It's kind of sad. But uh, at the same time, I guess we're just smarter now and we're not. Well, it also bendies. tells you. Yeah. And it's what to avoid. Right. Like anything with Jim Carrey, I try to avoid. And it makes I think it makes movies better. I think the fact that that studios and actors and directors know that it doesn't matter who you know, you if you make a dud, like everyone's going to know that in 30 seconds. Yeah. You can't coast anymore. So I think it's elevated the art form to an extent. I mean, you even have like on trailers, they'll even say Rotten Tomatoes score 97 percent now. Like it'll say it on the trailer. But it may not be entertaining. Well, yeah, that's true. That's it a whole could, other thing. Yeah, that's a whole nother deal. <laughs> it might be good, but not good for... It might be good for you, but not fun to watch. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. gotcha. Well, like anyway. <laughs> so we solved, we solved the movie star dilemma. Now back to Cruz. The dude has made a bazillion movies, right? 55, according to Google. According Holy to my moly, quick, I know, really? Isn't that crazy? It's wow. Nuts. 55 movies. That's pretty impressive. Now, do you, Tim... I'm going to throw this to you. Do you have a favorite Tom Cruise performance... And a favorite Tom Cruise movie. Those two. Oh. I'm putting you on the spot. So it's tied for two of them. Okay. I think in the previous podcast, I said I liked him in Magnolia the best. Yep. And I think he liked him in Magnolia the best. Yeah, everyone knows that's that, his best performance. Uh, I, I don't think know. It's, it's not disputed, really, right? Yeah. And he harnessed a little bit. And then my second favorite is Rain Man. Okay. Yep. Where he's plays a younger brother of a guy who's on the spectrum, who's like a savant. And then he wants to get his inheritance by basically taking the brother or something. Anyway, it's all based in, it's really prodigal, man. It's amazing. Yeah. Just an arrogant older brother who's trying to like get the money. And then he forms a relationship with this, like you said, savant, a younger brother. And this, we see this like cocky, terrible guy like melt and like, oh, it's a great movie. Great movie. But that's the, that's the same kind of performance we're getting in uh, Magnolia too. Right. That's right. that's Tom Cruise's strength. So it's not Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a million action stars. His is where you take somebody who's a gunfighter and then they turn into uh, they're weeping on the ground at the end. Yes. And you see that you see that in Rain Man because that's what he is. He's like he's basically like he's a maverick. And then you see it in Top Gun, the original Top Gun when Goose dies. He turns into he can't even like fly a plane anymore. And then you see it in uh, this film, too. 
it's like he can't, he uh, just falls apart. And so I think that's a, I mean, if you're Tom Cruise and you're looking at what are my best roles, it's where he comes in like self-assured and asshole and like cocky and like a, like a jerk. And then he is, his character is so impacted by the people around him that he begins to melt and he turns into a human. Basically. <laughs> and I think I think that's why Magnolia is the ultimate example of that, right? So you have this guy on stage who's Frank T.J. Mackey, who's just like this misogynist, motivational speaker trying to get all these men, you know, tips on how to seduce women. And he's just larger than life and the spotlight's on him. And he opens to the 2001, you know, Space Odyssey song and just like, yeah. And then he has this interview with this reporter. And over the course of the movie, he just disintegrates. Like all of his layers come off and you see this massive father wound. And he's just a broken human being by the end of that movie. And it's, it's, it's great. And he's so endearing. So like he does stuff like in that film, like he nursed as a teenager, nurses his mom through her cancer and her death. Right. But like his whole career is based on misogyny. But like he was the guy that was there for his mom. So it's like those, the contrast. I mean, of course, P.T. Anderson like wrote that on purpose. But like the, that contrast is like he's so good at playing that. And I love like his acting is superb. There's nothing wrong. Like everything he does is, is really good. I don't like his personal life at all, No, but he is a heck of an actor, man. hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Yeah. People rag on Tom Cruise a lot, of course, and rightfully so because yeah, Scientology, jumping on the couch, name your thing. But you know, Matt Lauer, that whole debacle. But the point is, is that as far as just movie screen person acting he's a tremendous actor and he deserves all why the does accolades. he not have an academy award is it bad timing or he's, something he's just been nominated three times he was nominated for magnolia born on the fourth of july which is another underrated performance or from early in his career oh that's a good one too so good and then the third one was jerry Maguire, which is actually my favorite tom cruise movie so i, I totally oh. agree with you that magnolia is his best performance but i just freaking love jerry Maguire. i think it's a great movie and i could pop that on any day of the week it's just beautiful yeah that's a that is a good movie Mm -hmm. just works talk about pacing it's just like that movie is just from start to finish if that thing is ever just on tv you know you're just flipping through channels i'm just gonna watch to the end because it's just a perfect film so there you go Mm -hmm. tom cruise man brings it every time but yeah you're right he's he's such a impressive filmography rain man few good men few good men i mean come on i mean he's just like you mentioned these movies and it's like oh yeah that one right oh love it where's his academy award man (laughs) i'm telling you i mean who beat him out like so like magnolia was it kevin spacey win that year who won that year great question i would have to look it up i don't know it's 99 so like 99 is the year of like the greatest movies ever oh it is there was a book written about that because i've said that forever that but there's actually a book saying that 99 is the best year in film and i totally agree i mean think about it matrix six cents american beauty american beauty magnolia you're talking wait a minute requiem for a dream requiem for a dream Maybe yeah. it was two thousand, but like, but oh, yeah, okay, all right, but no, all right. but no, ninety nine was incredible. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's kind of like when the money hit the independent film, mm-hmm. and like they're like, oh, let's get some new narratives here, and the independent film reigned for like a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, it's great. All right, so Tim, what did you think about Cruz specifically as Maverick in this movie? Before we move on to other actors, I mean, like as as this performance in particular, we should probably just say, what did you think of him here? Well, so like I think like the character is kind of interesting because they they if they had made him like the like how he initially was, like he's going to succeed based on his antisocial behavior and his disdain for authority. That wouldn't work. So they had to play out the character to like how he'd actually be, which is he's living in the past. 
and he has a disdain for authority and it's limited his career. Like, so he's been in the military for a hundred years and he doesn't get to the rank of all the, his peers. So he's, he's just a captain. captain. He's a captain right. and he could have been an admiral by then. Right. Exactly. And that behavior is great. If you're a fighter pilot, it doesn't really work any other way. Mm-hmm. And so, so they kind of show like, this is, and it keeps him from developing as a person until he's willing to let go of some of that behavior. Yeah, I like that too. I like how he seemed more grounded, more humble, just like been his title alone. I mean, like it's kind of offers this built-in sort of underdog humility, right? Because he's in a room with these admirals that he could be equals to, and he has to say yes, sir, and dismissed and all that stuff, right? And so, and and he still breaks the rules, but it's but unlike the first one where he just does it to be a jerk because he has a massive ego, in this one he does it for out of you know because he believes it's genuinely the right thing to do for the sake of others. So there's definitely growth that we see, and and yeah, and I think that's cool. I mean, now is this is this an Oscar worthy Tom Cruise performance? I mean, no, there's not, you, you no, know, uh, but he's not phoning it in. It's just he does the job perfectly, and I just there's just not. I don't know. What can you say? It's it's not. It's not a character study. It's an action it. film. That's you it. know, it's a blockbuster, right? So so it has to have like you're not going to sit there as he like. Like in Magnolia, you could do like a single, like, you know, like five minutes on a shot of his face. Crying. That's not going to happen right. in this. Right. That's not going to happen in this movie. <laughs> so don't try to make it happen. Right. right. This is Top Gun. My sense is he does a really good job. I don't think it's like believable, but we don't go to a film like this to have it be believable no. that there's some 60 year old Top Gun pilot that's flying missions. We're blowing up the insane. Death Star. Come on. Yeah. Right. It's the Death Star. Right. It's Obi and it's Obi-Wan blowing it up. Not Luke. <laughs> you know, it's good stuff. Yeah. Perfect. We agree. All right. Let's go to Miles Teller. Now, he played Goose's son, Rooster. I have a soft spot in my heart for Miles Teller because, as I've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast over the years, Whiplash is one of my favorite movies of the last uh, five, six years. I think it's absolutely incredible. And Miles Teller is the star of that. And that's Damien Chazelle's film, Whiplash. And he kind of fell out of grace with Hollywood because he was very outspoken in his interviews. And a lot of people don't, people don't like that when you are out there and you're telling the truth about things that happen behind the scenes, maybe movies that you start in that you don't like. They don't like that. Yeah, and I think there's another uh, Shia LaBeouf was another uh, actor who oh, yeah. fell out He's of grace because with. he just sort of he would just sort of you know go on Leno and be like, yeah, that movie, this movie sucks, <laughs> and the studio's like, uh <laughs> we literally yeah, are paying you to promote our film. Yeah, right. right. This is in your contract, <laughs> right? And so that same thing happened with Miles Teller. He basically, you know, one of the most famous examples is that apparently Damien the director of Whiplash promised that he would be the lead in La La Land and then decided to go with Ryan Gosling and Miles Teller was very upset about that and decided to tell every reporter under the sun how upset he was that Chazelle broke his promise and when he tried to call him he ghosted him and uh, he just decided to tell the whole world and obviously that's not it's not how you make friends in Hollywood well, and I'm finding out now and it's so cool I'm like ooh gossip celebrity right? gossip right right yeah I didn't yeah. know that you're just not supposed to know those things that's why we don't know yeah now I kind of like that I kind of wish he was in it now, although he's kind of young. Pretty, he's a little he's young. young. I think Gosling was the right choice, but the point is, is that yeah, he was not afraid of um, just spilling the beans on those kind of secrets. And so for a few years, he just didn't get any work. So I'm kind of glad that he's back, and because I think he's a legitimately great actor, and I think he's really good in this. I would say that this is the best performance of the movie because it's just, I mean, it's, it's the most meaty character. I don't know how meaty is he. Like, what is he? Like, what is? What are the scenes that got you? 
Well, I just think what, that like what, what, like, oh, I, what, like struck you. I think that you know you, you start out with like seeing the piano scene where it's reminiscent of his dad, and then you've got mm-hmm. this like anger and this insecurity that he has, right? Where he really doesn't he knows he has talent, but he doesn't believe in himself enough, and then he gets the push and he has to get himself out there and and try to overcome like his own fear. And I just think like his his interactions with Cruz and like that that kind of anger and also like you know insecurity inside of him like in his eyes i don't know i just think he was really good in this so he's the balance right like so like between him and cruz so like cruz's issue is that he's going too fast he's pushing it too hard he's going to kill somebody he's going to destroy the plane he's going to die or take a mission that's too risky and then the issue for rooster is he's going too slow pushing he's not pushing it enough do you think it's generational what do you mean so like a lot of this is like the generational differences and like what makes a like what like what how should we act right sure so you're saying that like Maverick uh, the young cocky version of a fighter pilot in the original Top Gun was basically ego all the way if I you know if 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 I have to abandon my whole team to do the right thing or what I think is the right thing bravo whereas this version is like more of a, the new generation's kind of like unsure of themselves like like take it easy get off the gas a little bit and listen before some, before you make a mistake and like wreck a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. versus like Maverick. I mean, even the name says it right. A Maverick is like a steer that's out of control, right? It's also a, it's a Western series. And the idea is like a Maverick is something that won't go with the herd. And then it's a gunfighter, mm. a lone gunfighter. Right. So that's kind of more of a baby boomer narrative. And you know what's interesting? Gunfighter. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is that hangman is kind of the new maverick in this one, right? Who basically he has tons of talent, but he'll just like abandon his entire fleet. If he wants to like, you know, thinks it's, he's, he can win the day. And that's kind of how maverick was back in the day, but maverick doesn't pick him. Right. He loses, he leaves his wingman. Maverick does. And so does hangman. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of contrasting like that old school mentality. Whereas, and I think even Iceman in the original, like Val Kilmer in the original movie, he had some valid points against Tom Cruise. Like he was supposed to be the douchey jerk, right? But at the same time, he was like, dude, you know what? You're going to get people killed. And like, that's not cool. Like we're a part of the same team, right? Yeah, he like what was so amazing is like he did seem like he could become an admiral based on like the original so i watched the other this is where it is kind of cool because i watched the original one after like that part that you're talking about yep and he does have like that leader he has a air of like uh, he could have been an he could be an admiral because he's so balanced but he's he's still he's not like being a jerk all the time right he's saying like hey this is dangerous you can't do this you're you're and he and he's very direct anyway i thought that character kind of maintained so that was kind of neat. Yep. And Val Kilmer is in the second movie, but he has a problem with speaking. And so he has to type his lines and he has to whisper. And that is because Val Kilmer actually does have throat cancer in real life. And that is what he is going through, which is terrible. Throat cancer, man. I mean, all cancer is bad, but man, I don't want throat cancer. No, thank you. Ugh. Yeah. it's And he's actually, um, he was, you know, a great actor. Now he's, he doesn't have all his faculties. Mm-hmm. So he, he does what he can, but I know Cruz wanted him to be in it. And I think their scene works really well and it's touching. It does. And I'm, and part of me is like, Oh good. Get Val Kilmer some uh, work, you know, apparently his documentary Val is really, really good on Amazon prime. I need to watch it, but it's basically Val Kilmer has like kept a bunch of like vi- home video of his entire career, just the hours and hours of footage throughout his whole life. And he re- turned it into a documentary. 
documentary, and apparently it is fantastic. Yeah, I saw it. You saw it? Did you like it? Yeah, it's good. It's it, there is some elements of that are very candid, but there's other elements that are definitely he he's the one that is helping make this film, right? Sure. So putting himself so, in a little bit glamorous. Yeah, everyone does it. Just like that, I was watching that Brian Wilson thing on PBS, like American Masters thing the other night. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's a Wilson directing this. It's not him, obviously. But like, uh, I was like, oh, okay. So we're not going to get like all the dirt then. Okay. Gotcha. Everything's going to be a little, it's going to be sanitized for your protection. Shined over a little bit. Yeah, sure. Just a bit, just a bit. So you get some of that with that documentary, but there's some raw stuff too. All right. So I guess that's it as far as acting is concerned. Music. We sort of, I want to give you an opportunity because we totally missed music and everything everywhere all at once and you were very sad. Is there anything else you want to say about the music besides our amazing song? Fly me to the danger zone. (laughs) Fly me to the danger zone. Yes. (laughs) One day I will, John. I will. My take on the music is there's just so much going on. So you have like the original person's material. You've got obviously Kenny Loggins is not involved, but like his his stuff is involved. Then you have uh, Hans Zimmer, Lady Gaga. Like all <laughs> these people are involved in this. Everybody's getting, so you're kind of like, oh, that's great. I it's like a progressive supper. A progressive supper. It is, man. Like, what is distinct? I, I don't know who, what belongs to whom, if that makes sense. Yeah. I know Zimmer sometimes does more of the electronic y stuff, but who knows? It could be Gaga. I don't know. So it's like really, it's non distinct, and I can't really put a judgment on it because you can't blame anybody for the bad stuff or like give anyone credit for the good stuff because you don't really know who did what. Somebody does, but I can't, I don't really know. And like we talked about, like the pacing is so fast in this movie that it's just all a blur. And by the year, you're done. And then you're like, oh, that was great. And then you're like, you know, there's not a moment where you're like, oh, the music, you know? What's funny is like some of the, um, music that in the original one that like where there's like a scene where like jets are like bombing something or whatever or like it it's always like this like upbeat rock and roll stuff it's like <laughs> you know and right. they're like murdering people <laughs> you know? right so like it's like so weird because those two things are different so i'm like oh they just murdered the mig fighter guy i know he's a, he was a soviet but someone's an orphan it, now it's like, like yeah. They did it to some bootleg Van Halen studio thing. Yeah, uh-huh. it was just weird. It's just like this upbeat. It's like awesome. Like you want to like every time you hear like at the end of all those songs, it's like you want to hear someone go awesome, radical. You know, like a toy commercial. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You won't believe this. You know, it's just like a little cheese ball. But I think it it's okay. Like it's kind of fun. So you get a little bit of that in the new one, but not as much as the old one. All right, Tim, let's start to wrap this thing up and talk about some themes. What are some truth bombs that hit you as you watched Top Gun Maverick? Do you have any? I think I kind of hit one of them already, which was we actually like the patterns of other movies to infiltrate our current films. They make us feel a little bit at home, like we're sitting in our old chair, you know? And so there's tons of that where, and I think Bruckheimer's the king of that, right? So this is a Bruckheimer produced film. There's all those things like, yeah, there's just a certain feel to it. And I was like, how many times can we hear, we won't be fooled again, right? <laughs> the, the who? Uh-huh. So like that's in like everything. It's like CS, anything Bruckheimer's got that kind of same vibe. So like I think the lesson here is that we're not as complicated as we want to say. It's so like, 
we're not going to, the independent film isn't going to like draw everybody all the time or the, or some of the films we've reviewed the last couple people aren't going to be drawn to them. Like they're going to be drawn to this. And so like at some point we have to go, not everything is new. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we like to go on a roller coaster similar to the other roller coaster we went on. And that's still fun. Especially in the case of a sequel, right? I mean, like, if we had gone to this movie and it was some, like, very independent-minded film where Maverick has a drinking problem, and it's like, at some point, you're like, okay, maybe it's, like, artistically good, but we just want to have fun. We're seeing Top Gun, for crying out loud. Yeah. Oh, man, now I want to go see that one that you just made. (laughs) I know you do. We would like that. We would talk for hours about it. Right. It would be a Best best Picture nominee, and everyone else would be like, I just wanted to see Top Gun. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, What are you guys doing that so yeah i think early i think in the first podcast that you and i did together we may have talked about story which is like this older book it's probably 25 years old now that mckee wrote and the idea is like these these elements of the story don't change you have to have tension in every scene and if you don't have tension in every scene people don't want to watch your movie yep this movie has tension in every scene whether it's cornball or not you feel it I mean, it's like there is tension, whether it comes from five other movies that we've already seen and it's kind of playing on our emotions and our weak mindedness. Okay. That's okay. We, we kind of have a sense of that. So I think that's okay to follow that. Follow the formula is okay. Well, there's that old quote that there's like basically only five stories, right? And we're all just, we're all just doing it over and over again, but that's okay. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I thought about was like, you know, Maverick's uh, willingness to break the rules. Reminds me of someone I know, Tim, and his name is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! He, uh, you know, beware of the, <laughs> of the the podcaster who sees Jesus, uh, the Christ figure, in every film. That, but go that's ahead. me. That's me. I'm our resident uh, straining to see Christ in everything I watch. Hey but man, I, yeah. If you're gonna have a one track mind, that's the good one. But, you know, like, it is true. I mean, let's be honest. I like the fact that Jesus, you know, he was willing to break the quote-unquote rules for the sake of love. And I think, as we were saying before, is that whereas Maverick in the past did it just to be a jerk, did a flyby just to, like, rub their noses in his ego, in this one he really does do it for the sake of love because he he believes that these men are going to die unless they're not properly prepared. And, in fact, the military seems to be okay with him dying, strangely, as long as the bomb is dropped. And so I do think there's something there. I'm not stretching too far, but yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I think self-sacrificial love, I think is part of the film. And I also like the way that Maverick believes in Rooster and gives him a chance. He sees potential that even Rooster himself doesn't see, which reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which is from some dude named Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Like, wow. Von Goethe. Von Goethe. Who said, quote, treat people as if they were what they ought to be, and you help them become what they are capable of being. I think that would revolutionize our relationships if we treated people according to their potential instead of what we see that they are right here on the surface. And I think that's what Tom Cruise does by putting Rooster in this mission, even though technically, by all accounts, he is not ready and could ruin it. He believes in him, and we see Rooster rise to the occasion, which I found very touching. I like that. And I also like the idea is, is it the plane or is it the pilot becomes like a thing that gets said over and over and over again. So if there's any message that the screenwriters want us to hear, that's got to be it. Which sure. is, are we, is the machine subservient to the the human being operating it? Or is it the other way around? Like, what's more important? Even the military is like, well, if we lose some pilots, we don't want to lose too many planes. Mm-hmm. So what matters more? The enemy has superior aircraft, and especially at the end, right, when Tom Cruise is flying around in some ancient... Um 
Tomcat. Yeah, Tomcat. So he's like flying around on the plane that he flew in 1986, right? And then, uh, right. Yeah. And so it is the pilot, not the plane. Yes. Right. So, but that gets into like, well, that gets into all of our weird stuff that we're doing, which <laughs> is like the, we like talking about the algorithm, you know? So, yeah. like, or the algorithms are, yeah. So, like, what matters more? Like, what matters? Like, are we just like a bunch of, people connected by uh, the internet now, like we're neurons basically for a big, for a giant corporate mind, or are we something more? So is there room for a maverick, right? Yeah. And I think that there is like, so it's not saying like you have to like, just always look for the good of the whole. I think that there's also like, no, there's times there where uh, the individual operator matters. It's like the individual matters still, even though we're on a team. And it's sort of like, one extreme is the original Maverick, just his ego getting in the way, but at the same time doing things that no one else will do because of his ego. Like you mm-hmm. see the, and then you have Rooster who is humble and is willing to listen, but isn't confident enough. There's something in between that we need, right? We need both of those elements, but in a non toxic. Or maybe like we just need those elements all in a community. Mm, so, so it's not saying like they, like we want to like just kind of mash them up and like have like whatever the middle ground is. It's not like the baby bear and mom, you know, it's not just mom and dad bear and we want baby bear. It's like maybe you can have your hot, your porridge too hot, your porridge too cold and your porridge just right in community and you're all eating porridge together. That's okay. Mm. So like I, I look at it like, okay, you can have a gunfighter personality in the group. You can have somebody who's cautious in the group and it actually might make for a better group. We have to, we're going to have to deal with some stuff with both of those types. And speaking of that community element, like you're going to not be able to get along with those two elements, right? I mean, we see in both movies that Maverick and Iceman do not get along and that there are um, Rooster and Maverick and the new one have these problems. So, I mean, like, it's sort of like in a community, there's going to be people that rub you the wrong way for whatever reason. This is just sort of a life and you don't have to get along with him. I mean, you don't have to love, you have to love everyone, but you don't have to like be best friends with everyone. And there are times where you maybe even have to cut people out of your life because they're toxic for you but at the same time at the end of the day we're all on the same team which is kind of what is cool about both movies at the end of the day they both they always come together because like we are fighting for the same goal and it's like i've always talked about before it's like i envision a time in the future in eternity my hope anyway is there's a time where like all these people that we couldn't get along with in this life that maybe we had to cut out because they were toxic for us we will see each other in our essence and we'll realize that we are actually a part of the same team the same kingdom and I think it's beautiful, and I think both films touch on that to an extent. It's almost like a messianic banquet scene that you're describing, right? We're all together, and like, I love that. But you get a taste of that at the end of both movies, yeah. And yeah, at the end, and then even in the beginning, like at the bar, Mm. like the bar is like the community gathering space, and whether people don't get, you know, maybe they don't get along, but they're still hanging at the bar with each other, yeah. You know, and I think of the disciples, and I think about obviously we think about the church, which we tend to say act a certain way, and then you're in. Or there's a certain way to be, and that excludes a whole lot of folks. So maybe we're like, we don't like these maverick types. We don't like, or we don't like this type that's too cautious or whatever it would be. You know, there's a hundred different ways to exclude people or try to change them or force Mm -hmm. them to change. Like that may not be the way to go here, guys. Maybe it's that we begin to deeply know each other in community, but I don't know. like I said, that's enigmatic, I think. It's yeah. hard, but right. I, think, I think it's a commitment. And we're both pulling out you know, deeper things than what the filmmakers intended, obviously. But I think that any time you're watching a movie and something feels really good, it's because 
it's speaking to a larger truth. I think that's true. So when we get to the end of the first movie and Iceman and Maverick hug and smile, like there's something that makes us that makes us feel really good inside. And I think it's because it's speaking to that larger truth. In fact, we mentioned Tom Hanks before. I just read a New York Times article with him, which was amazing. This interview with him, it's if you should Google it. It's like Tom Hanks tells everything or something. Anyway, it's this amazing okay. article where he just like it's this really in depth interview. And anyway, one of the quotes that Tom Hanks follows in his life, like that he has followed as an actor his whole life is, and he didn't make up the quote, he got it from somewhere, but it's learn your lines, hit your marks, and tell the truth. And that is what he has like lived by throughout his career. And I think that that's what good art always does, is they genuinely, it's a group of people trying to tell the truth. That's what makes them modern day parables. That's what makes this whole podcast and website exist. And that's why we love movies, man. That's cool. All right, Tim, what are your final thoughts on Top Gun Maverick and your letter grade? Hit me. What a fun movie. It is what it's what it's supposed to be. And it does it's it was probably the first blockbuster movie I've seen in a theater in years, maybe like ten years, that is accomplishing what it's seeking to accomplish. See it in a the theater, community movie. So go see with people when people because people will go they'll go they'll get excited, they'll talk back to the screen. Yes, even the white Anglo Saxon Protestants will talk back in the screen in this movie. <laughs> it's crazy, right? I know, uh-huh. like the frozen chosen will talk at this movie. The other thing you'll find yourself doing, I don't know if you find yourself doing this, John, is you will move your head in the movie. Because mm. the, the cinematography is, you know, and the jets and everything, like I found myself leaning into the shots. <laughs> like how amazing. Like yeah. that's like a role, that's like a theme ride, right? It's exactly what we're looking for here. And so, like, from my standpoint, like, I think it engaged me. Like, an, like, n- like a movie hasn't done in a long time, like, like the physicality of it even. And so I'd say go see it with a bunch of, your, bunch of people you know. They don't have to be your best friends. But go see it in a big theater packed out. Bring your popcorn to throw. You know, like, it's just going to be great if you haven't seen it already. Go see it again. And you might pick up on some stuff we haven't picked up on yet. But I, I give it an A. Solid A. It is what it claims to be. And, and it has all the elements of uh, summertime, blockbuster, classic, fun. Wow. An A from Tim Nelson for Top Gun. I know. Maverick. How about I that? I know. Well, I was a huge fan of this movie, too. Like Tim said, it's just pure entertainment. And I haven't felt that way about a movie in ages. It's just like, you know, it's like... We've done the superhero thing. We've done the dinosaur thing. Like Tim texted me last night. It's like we need, this just feels like that old school Hollywood magic, you know, that's like, that we just haven't seen a lot of. Like that 17-year-old kid at the theater said. It's like the blockbuster's back. Dang right. Like that, the original Jurassic Park or the, you know, whatever. Name your film here. And it's just, it's it's rare and it's back. And so, yes, go see this on the biggest screen possible. And in fact, the, the, the what's so great about the movie is that like you just like leave with a smile on your face like i literally and i'm not making this up i looked to my left and there was an elderly couple looking at the credits roll (laughs) just beaming at the screen smiling like that's just the impression this movie leaves on you it does definitely like an experience like it felt more than like like you couldn't maintain any kind of an analytical mindset Mm -hmm. you had you got wrapped up and I think that's the initial, like, that's 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 motion pictures right yes, there, right? that's it. That's what we've been and missing. So, yeah, it hasn't been here for a while. And, C- and, and, and I think CGI ain't going to accomplish it. No. It has to be real. And so we're, and there is CGI, obviously, right? But, like, there had to be enough real in it to make it work. And it's why, and it may not make the most money of because of the superheroes, 
but it, it's close. And, and to me, it has a certain feel to it that is like old time blockbuster experience, like theme park experience almost. Yep. Fantastic movie. Now, I will say that when I was driving home, I had kind of your moment where I was like, I was so like enraptured by the experience. I was like, there's nothing wrong with this movie. It's a perfect film. Now, I did analyze it a little more in my head, and I am I do think there are some flaws in it. I do think that uh, the Jennifer Connelly thing is a big one for me. I feel like you can't I can't give an A to a movie that just has a character that flat out doesn't work. That like and a lot you could say the same thing about some of the other soldier characters too. They're kind of like stand-ins, like we mentioned the girl and the and the fact of that whole subplot thing. And then there are moments that are a little bit overdone, like, you know, when uh, Rooster tells Maverick for, like, the fifth time, don't think, just do. And you're just like, okay. Like, we, we you know, we get it. <laughs> We're good. So I'm going to actually be the uh, the killjoy here and give it a, a high, high, high B+. Plus. Oh. Um, I think that's the right letter grade. If I'm looking at it as just a work of art movie, I'm sorry. Like, there are some, there are flaws that keep it out of the air range. But I, I loved it. I love it. I love the movie. I'm okay. So you're so, so you're saying like I get you. I don't, I'm letting you. Yeah. Have, you can have the final word. But what you're saying is because because this movie is a monster truck and you want it to be like a Ferrari, I just, right? I just yeah. I'm sorry. Like I know. I mean, but I even I think about even like I think about movies that are entertaining that that have the same like wow entertainment factor, like Back to the Future, for instance, or the original Jurassic Park. And I'm going to say that those movies don't have the same gaping flaw of like a romantic subplot that just flat out goes nowhere and characters that are super three dimensional. If you think about the original Jurassic Park, every character in that movie has depth and has an interesting element to them. So I'm not saying. I'm I'm not docking it because it's just fun. I'm saying I think there's some legitimately problematic things from a filmmaking perspective, but highly, right. highly recommended. But mostly story related, right? Yeah, story and just writing is a little bit shallow in parts. Is basically yeah, what yeah. I, would no, say. I follow you. I, I I can agree with you, and I can say I'm willing to overlook it because this sure. movie is not. And I will say I was too. Like literally, I was driving home saying that's a perfect film because I would because like the pacing and the energy of the film makes you overlook it. You don't think about the flaws in the moment, and that's like magic. That really is Hollywood magic, right there. And you know what? I might be tempted to go A minus. So it's right on the edge. Like I said, it's the highest B plus possible, and maybe you could talk me into an A minus on a different day so there you go but i get what you're saying like it's a little hypnotic right yeah like it has you like because it, <laughs> right. it's like john give me an a and go see me five times i'm serious yeah. <laughs> i literally came out of the theater and texted six people i was like go see this movie like i was I a know. cultist <laughs> and everyone is doing the same thing yeah 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 so there is an element of that and it's beginning to wear off you're like oh it was Bamboos uh, a little bit just seduced yeah, yeah i've been seduced by this film <laughs> yeah it's not as good as we thought. Mm-hmm. That's good, though. That's a good... But that's, that's good. But like, that's powerful. That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. It's powerful, and that just hasn't happened in a long time, and that's amazing. No. Very cool, man. So I, I think that we were happily surprised in this movie. Yes. And there you have it. The movie is Top Gun Maverick. It is playing at a theater near you, and you should go see it at a theater near you. Tom Cruise really wants you to, and he'll thank you for it personally right before the movie starts. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I would recommend... I would really recommend that you watch the original... Original. It is streaming on, I think, Peacock is where I saw it. It's $5 a I month. Saw it on I know. Prime, I there think. you go. Prime. Yep. Yep. And so watch the original.
original because the, the, I think the movies, both movies really complement each other very well. And I think that watching the original and then going and seeing the second one, you're not losing anything. And in fact, both movies are stronger for the other one existing. So yes, do that. And if you are a military veteran and you are willing to explain the uh, the questions we had, or if you just want to tell us why we were wrong about this movie or maybe right, please contact us at podcast at cinemafaith.com. Once again, podcast at cinemafaith.com. Yeah. And so if you're, can there be a 59 year old captain? That's <laughs> yes. our first question for you vets. Yes. Can you be 59 and be an active member of the military and be a captain? <laughs> I highly doubt that. And I'm sure I could Google it, but it'd be much f- more fun to have the 59-year-old listener who is a captain let us know that, yes, indeed, that is the case. It can occur. That's right. So please get in touch with us about that, and we will read your email on the air. All right, Tim, next month is July. Uh, I don't know what we're podcasting on yet. I do know one of the big releases is Nope, uh, which we both want to see. But that's oh, I know, yeah. But that's coming at the end of the month. I wouldn't have enough time to throw, to throw things together, mm-hmm. so we might have to wait until August. Um, there is an Ethan Hawke horror movie where he plays a villain who like kidnaps children, which I want to see, but probably no one else on Earth does. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to see Ethan Hawke in this creepy role with a mask and that he's like kidnapping kids. I don't know. He doesn't seem creepy to me. That's what I'm saying. That's what's so intriguing about that to me. Or Speaking of villains, there is the new Thor, and I know that you're. We are all marvelled out as society, and it's the opposite. It's the opposite of everything we talked about. But listen, two things. One, it's directed by Taika Waititi, who did. Oh, I love him. Who is amazing? I love him. Who is amazing and did Jojo Rabbit and one of my favorite directors working today. So that's one plus. And two, the Wilder People one. You got to watch that Wilder People movie. It's like amazing. Go ahead. All right, sorry. And two, the main villain in it is Christian Bale as a villain. So part of me really does actually want to see that movie. So maybe wow. we could continue. Maybe for just one more month, Tim, we could continue the popcorn entertainment and go see, bring our kids and go see Thor. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Christian Bale's. <laughs> all these people I thought were good. Ethan Hawke, Christian Bale. They're like kidnapping children. Yeah, this is terrible. Yeah. So I oh might be God. able to talk you into that. We'll see. But in either way, we will be back next month uh, for your listening pleasure. And Tim, I love you, man. Thanks for doing this with me. I love you too, man. Keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.